of silent personal confession. And um, let's do that. Thank you for Camille for leading that this morning and for all those who have volunteered to do that. If you would like to uh, join in on the joy of doing that, let me know. That happens every Sunday except for the well, the fifth Sunday. If we have a fifth Sunday, what? We will? Okay. Never mind. Thank you. Uh, Susan and Alishka have permission to, to you, know, oh, you know, yell things out. Because uh, I want accuracy above all, and thank you for that. Uh, you didn't yell. I didn't feel yay. Okay. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus. We're going to finish up chapter 27, the last two verses, and look at all of chapter 28. Again, as you see in your bulletin there, there's, there's the text that we've printed, but also in parentheses there's another text, and that is actually... If you look at Exodus, there's this pattern of he. They describe you hear. You're hearing now what God is saying to Moses. Moses is receiving these instructions. For we've heard about the tabernacle, the furniture of the tabernacle, the construction of the tabernacle, the, the outer court, and the and the altar. And now we're hearing the instructions on what the priests are going to wear. And then later in in Exodus. Almost verbatim, we have the execution of God's command. Then, then it says, then they made these things. And almost verbatim, just exactly what God had said. And so, I'm not going to preach those twice. Uh, but I want you to know that this was not only heard, but it was done. And we'll look more at that as we get to the end of Exodus. But we're here in Exodus 27 and 28. Um, before we read God's Word, let me, let me pray again. Gracious God, we are thankful, so thankful that you have preserved this, your Word. This that was written by the hand of Moses, by the instruction and guidance of, of, of the Holy Spirit, that you have preserved it by that same power to, to, to be kept and recorded and recorded again and and with accuracy throughout the, 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 the centuries until we come to this day where we have this reliable word from you. Lord, you have preserved your word, you have inspired this word, and now we ask that you would make it known to us, help, it to, help us to understand it, see the relevance of it, the beauty of it, and uh, help us again to see the, this more clearly. As we hear your word, as we contemplate your word, as I preach your word, help us to see the glory of Christ and the cross more clearly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Exodus 27, starting with verse 20. You shall command the people of Israel that they bring to you pure beaten olive oil for the light, that a lamp may regularly be set up to burn. In the tent of meeting, outside the veil, that is, before the testimony, Aaron and his son shall tend it from evening to morning before the Lord. It shall be a statute forever to be observed throughout their generations by the people of Israel. Then bring near to you Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the people of Israel to serve me as priests. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. 
You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. These are the garments that they shall make, a breastpiece, an ephod, a robe, a coat of checkered work, a turban, and a slash. A sash. They shall make the holy garments for Aaron, your brother, and his sons to serve me as priests. They shall receive gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twine, twined linen. And they shall make the ephod of gold, of blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and of fine twined linen, skillfully worked. It shall have two shoulder pieces attached to its two edges, so that it may be joined together. The skillfully woven band on it shall be made like it, and it shall be of one piece with it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen. You shall take two onyx stones, and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one side, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, and in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signet, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree. And you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. You shall make settings of gold filigree and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords. And you shall attach the cords corded chains to the settings. You shall make a breastpiece of judgment and skilled work, and the style of the ephod you shall make it, of gold, blue, and purple, and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen shall you make it. And it shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. Breath, and you shall set in its four rows of stone in it four rows of stones, a row of of sardius, topaz, and carbuncle shall be the first row, the second row an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond, and the third row a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst, and the fourth row a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. They shall be set in gold filigree, and there shall be twelve stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets, each engraved with its name for the twelve tribes." You shall make for the breastpiece twisted chains like cords of pure gold. And you shall make for the breastpiece two rings of gold and put the two rings on the two edges of the breastpiece. And you shall put the two cords of the gold and the two rings at the edge of the breastpiece. The two ends of the two cords you shall attach to the two settings of filigree and so attach it in front of the shoulder pieces of the ephod. You shall make two rings of gold and put them in the two ends of the breastpiece on the inside edge next to the ephod. And you shall make two rings of gold and attach them to the front of the lower part of the two shoulder pieces of the ephod at its seam above the skillfully woven band of the ephod. And they shall bind the breastpiece by its rings to the rings of the ephod with a lace of blue so that it may lie on the, on the skillfully woven band of the ephod so that the breastpiece shall not come loose from the ephod. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel and the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim. And you shall be on... And they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. You shall make the robe of the ephod all blue. 
It shall have an opening for the head in the middle of it, with a woven binding around the opening, like the opening of a garment, so that it may not tear. On it, on its hem, you shall make pomegranates of blue and purple and scarlet yarns around its hem, with bells of gold between them, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate around the hem of the robe. And it shall be on Aaron when he ministers, and its sound shall be heard when he goes into the holy place before the Lord, and when he comes out, so that he does not die. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holy to the Lord." And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue, and it shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead, that they may be accepted before the Lord. You shall weave the coat in checkered work of fine linen, and you shall make a turban of fine linen, and you shall make a sash embroidered with needlework. For Aaron's sons, you shall make coats and sashes and caps. You shall make them for glory and beauty. You shall put them on Aaron, your brother, and on his sons with him, and shall anoint them and ordain them and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. You shall make for them linen undergarments to cover their naked flesh. They shall reach from the hips to the thighs. And they shall be on Aaron and on, on his sons when they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in the, his, in the holy place, lest they bear guilt and die. This shall be a statute forever for him and for his offspring after him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Um... I did it again. I printed it and it fell out. I know I printed it. Anyway, someone, Susan, you know about your way around the copier. Would you go make sure that that didn't, my notes didn't fall out? I, I am serious. Let me see. I did this a few weeks ago, y'all. I'm two for three right now. And my face is turning red. Out of both anger and, and embarrassment. Um, let's see. I'm being honest. Really honest with you people. All right. Here we go. Um, I know I printed it. Anyway. Here we go. Uh, I, did, I did it once. Do it again. Here we go. Um, so, when we, when we look at this text, um, it's, int- it's a weird text to us. Um, and I've named this, t- this, this sermon, When the Clothes Make the Man. Have you ever heard that, heard that phrase before? When the clothes make the man? Oh, good. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Those are the right ones, too. Okay, here we go. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm going to tile this in at the end. Okay, watch it. All right, so... But when you read that, that statement, do you all agree with that statement? The clothes make the man and what that means? You know, like... The clothing makes the man. It actually comes from a, um, a statement, a, a quote from Mark Twain. He might not have been the first one to say such a thing, but he's, he's made it famous. He says, clothes, clothes make the man. Naked people have little to no influence in society. That's the rest of it. 
That's the rest of it. And, and um, it's true. Uh, there's a, a certain cowboy in New York. He has influence. It's weird. Anyway, he's the naked cowboy. Anyway, don't look that up. Anyway, um, but it's, it's, it's true here because we, 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 when we read this and we think about someone serving us on behalf of the Lord and we see this man dressed in all this, this you know, jewels and purple and blue and, you know, like, it's, it's a lot of bling, a lot of, you know, fancy things. This is not how the typical Israelite dressed. Um, and in this case, you might, you might push back and go, well, I don't think the clothes make the man. I mean, I hope not. I mean, we, you know, we don't put as much emphasis on clothes. But, you know, that, that whole idea that when that saying has gotten popular because if you, you kind of, you dress for the part, Right? You've, maybe you hear the phrase of, well, you know, if you want the, you know, you dress not for the job you have, for the job you want. You've heard that before. Um, and so there's this idea of your attire. It doesn't define your heart, define your real person, but it needs to reflect the job you're there to do. And... Um, and, and show that you are, you know, you, you're there to do, a, your, do your best and do a certain, to do a, your job. And so when we look at this, that's really what we're seeing. It's, it's interesting too because when you read this, you're not... If you compare this to, say, the qualifications for an elder or deacon, which we've talked about recently when we ordained our new elders and deacons, we didn't talk about clothing. We talked about what? Talked about faith, their faith, their character, their maturity in the Lord, their wisdom, their ability to teach, um, their spiritual gifts. And here, this almost sounds like kind of backwards. There's nothing of Aaron's qualification. There's nothing of his, um, other than just being the brother of Moses and being chosen to be his mouthpiece. There's nothing really, what's, you know... What are Aaron's qualifications? Does he meet the same qualifications of an elder, of a deacon? I, no, it's just, this is what he's going to wear. Well, in this case, we, we see that, in, as in the case of looking at the tabernacle, it is the, it's not so much the man that's entering in, but what, this, what these clothes represent. What he is a symbol of to God's people and to God on behalf of his people. So in this case, it really is a case where the clothes make the man. The clothes are what set him apart, so it's important that we look at this. And so, um, there's three things I want us to see. That first, as we think about this man adorned in this stuff, and as God gives us the instruct, gives Israelites instructions of what to, how to make it and what to make, um, he is to be a symbol, uh, one, a symbol of belonging, that there's, you see in, in what he wears, what Aaron and his sons are, are given to wear, a symbol of belonging. Secondly, uh, there's a symbol of representation. That in these clothes he, he adorns, he's a symbol, a symbol of representation. And then lastly, um, we see here that the symbolic gives way to the real. A symbol of Belonging, a symbol of representation, and then finally, this symbolic gives way to the real. Um, just like that saying that we just that I you know this the the sermon title. Um, 
in the in the Bible for the Hebrews, clothing is often used as a symbol uh, to express outwardly what the wearer is or what he ought to be inwardly. And you think about, you know, when when uh, when Joshua sees the angel of the Lord, and what is he what is he wearing? He's dressed as a warrior with a drawn sword. What he's wearing and that sword in his hand communicates something that he's ready for battle and to and to conquer the his enemies and his people's enemies. It says something about what he's there to do. Um, the garments express what Aaron uh, represented or what he's a symbol of. Um, and this is why the garments come before his consecration in the next chapter. The garments, uh, as Motir says, are the figures of what's true. The figures of the true is in what he wears. And there's, if you read, there's three adjectives describing the clothes that he wears. And all three of these are attributes of God himself. He's, he's called holy, uh, glorious, and beautiful. That's what these... these this outfit, these garments are supposed to be holy, glorious, and beautiful. And again, this is, these are you know, uh, adjectives that describe God Himself. Holy, set apart, different. Um, and and, and when, you, when you use this word um, in, in relation to a man, it's, it's used as only for the, for the sanctuary ministry, for the ministry that happens inside the tabernacle, this holy. And, and, and then it's also glorious, which is, which is weighty. And not in a quantity sense, but in a qualitative sense. Like it's just not, you know, you can... Not, not that there's just a lot of, of, of stuff he's wearing, but it's glorious. I mean, maybe the gold did weigh down, and there's a lot of layers. Um, some, you know, I was in a church once where we wore the, the Genevan robe, and that felt kind of weighty and hot in the summer. So, oh, I'm loving this. Anyway, but, um, but not weighty in a, quali- a quantitative sense, but in a qualitative sense. It was glorious to behold these, 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 these um, you know, precious uh, linen and, 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 and dyed cloth. And, and gold. That's what this, his outfit was made from. And then it was beautiful. Beautiful. Just as the inside of the tabernacle was beautiful to behold, there was this, these fine jewels and, these, and this gold. And, and again, just, just a, a wonderful thing. No one else would wear something like this. No one else would be adorned like this amongst God's people. Only the, the high priest. And you notice that something else is different here. When you talk about what you're wearing, if you're talking about putting on clothes, you would probably start inside and, and out. You know, what, what you put on first to what you put on last. And in this, it's what's put on last to what's put on first. And it's, it's, it's opposite of how the tabernacle is described. The tabernacle gives you the inside and then the outside. But in both cases, I want you to realize that the because, you know, as we think about why would he describe the outside and then in, that's usually not how we think about putting on clothes, but it's what is closest to the glory of God to what's furthest away. Think about that. What, his, what he's wearing outwardly is what's closest to that holy of holies and what he's representing to the outward world and to God himself. And then it becomes less, more common, less beautiful and, and glorious as, it, as, it, as the, uh, the clothing you know, gets closer to, his, to itself. And so, again, it's about 
God's glory and, and showing that He, what? That He belongs there. Again, He's wearing the same, the same fabrics, the same uh, materials that are found inside the tabernacle and on the, this beautiful tapestry. The, the curtains and the gold, um, and the gold frames. He's, he, he looks like He fits, doesn't He? He looks like he belongs in that holy place. And he belongs even inside the Holy of Holies once a year. Because he's wearing these fine jewels and these fine linens, the high priest was regarded as the appropriate and prepared person to perform the duties that were to take place within the tabernacle. And you note that these these stones that are given... These stones that are that are described, you know, the these we don't really know exactly what these stones were. You know, we're you know some of you people that like minerals and stones and rocks and stuff, you might go, oh, I recognize those, but these were, they were Hebrew words of these fine stones. So you know, we did you know they did our did their best to try to find an English translation. We're not exactly sure if these were actual diamonds or if what they thought was an amethyst was you know corresponded to what we call amethyst. There's no colors given, but interesting though, nine of these stones are are found when we read um, in go back. We go to Ezekiel 28 and it's describing the Garden of Eden and it says those precious stones are found there. Nine of these twelve are found in Eden. And so again, if you remember back a few weeks as we're talking about this, this tabernacle and what it represents, it's pointing back to the paradise, to Eden, and he's wearing the stones that are found in Eden that he goes into this place bearing the physical reminders of that pure and sinless situation. That he's wearing the symbols of pureness, of holiness, and adorned as one who who belongs in the presence of God. And again, I talked about, you know, we go from, he describes the outside in, and he actually talks about underwear, which is, you didn't think you would, you know, like it's a good quiz. You know, where in the Bible does God talk about underpants? It's right here. It's in here. It really is. There's two places in Exodus. And why, why would that be so important? Well, again, and this is, you know, kind of hard to say. You don't like to think about it. But, you know, back, you know, then it was common... For, to worship these pagan gods through all kind of sinful acts. Through exposure. And you remember we're talking about, you know, you don't put that altar on a pedestal so that the priest's nakedness would not be seen. Again, the idea is that the man is to be completely covered. Because though he is adorned in a way that says he belongs what is true about him? He has fallen. He falls short of the glory of God. Every part of him is to be covered. Nothing is to be exposed. All you are to see are the clothes. With no distraction, no part of this man, no part of his body, only what he wears. Because... In this case, like we said, it's the clothing that that points to what he's there to do, that shows he um, belongs. 
And then finally, just this idea of the symbol of belonging is this is this uh, this head this headpiece this plate he wears on this on this cap of his head that that goes upon his temple. Um, uh, it was a, of a shining, sparkling gold plate. It wasn't a crown. It just was there with just a as you read. We read just a a string, a, a filament hanging it there, and it read "Holy to the Lord." So if you just didn't get the impression from the, from the outfit that he belonged in that room, he had it written there on his head that Aaron, the high priest, was set apart as holy. And it's interesting, one, one commentator said, he goes, it's striking that the high priest was given no words to say as he entered the holy place. And you can check that out in Leviticus 16. There was no request or incantation or, you know, pronouncement. It was just silently there. And he had to wear that, that part of the... He had to have bells on his tunic, right? On the ephod, so what? One commentator said that they would be able to hear if he stopped moving inside. <laughs> Right? Because there's a lot of specific things he had to do. We'll, you, we can look ahead to Nadab and Abihu. They, they, altered the wrong, they offered the wrong incense, the wrong recipe of incense, and they died. And they had to be pulled out. You couldn't go in there. But also, the, I believe the bells were to announce their entrance to the Lord. Here I come. I'm coming in. You, did, you didn't go to... You, didn't, you just bust into a, to the throne room of any king. You had to be announced. <laughs> had to know you were coming. So it served two things. But there was no words. It was just this, 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 all that needed to be said was this holy to Yahweh. And they entered in, adorned, if you will, representing symbolic of the character of God. The holiness of God. The glory of God. And they, adorning that, symbolizing that, entered into that place. The second thing we see, that this is a, not all a symbol of belonging, but a symbol of representation. And, and we see that who, who was represented, it, was, it wasn't so much about God being represented to the people, but it's the people being represented to God. And we, we see that in, in what he's wearing. He, on the ephod, he has these, these shoulder plates of onyx stones. And what's written on there? It's, it's written the names of the children of Israel. And he's bearing, he's bearing the names of the children of Jacob on his shoulders. And not only that, he's wearing this, not a breastplate. Sometimes we call it a breastplate. It's a breastplate. It's not made of metal. There's gold woven in. There's gold around the jewels on this. This squared piece is doubled over, make a pocket. Three, 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 three. Four rows of three and all these jewels. And on those stones was what? Even though it was beautiful and finely, craftedly engraved also the names of the children of Israel. He didn't just go in showing that he's a man set apart. He's a holy man, but he went in as a Representing a holy people. 
He represented all of Israel. And in the scriptures, uh, you see and in Hebrew Bible, in the Hebrew scriptures, that uh, repetition is for emphasis. And you're like, well, that's not just the Hebrew Bible. That's also parents do that, right? <laughs> we say the same thing over and over. What? For emphasis. But he wears the names in two places. He goes in representing each person outside the tent, going in, bringing them in with him before the Lord. Now, what's inside this breast piece? It's these Urim and Thummim. And, and to be quite honestly, we don't really know what those were. There is no description. There's no, like, this is how you make them. They must have been common in that culture. And the best we can tell, it's, it, it was kind of a, a, a dice, a, a way of... Uh, we don't know, but it was a way that, that the priests could use these and, um, to ascertain what God's will for His people was and we and we can find this in a text here. This is just not really my, my main point, but I want to I want to shed some light on it. If you if you turn to First Samuel fourteen, uh, Saul talks about these and inquires of God. Um, and 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 um, in Samuel fourteen, uh, was he, you know, how does he go about going after these Philistines and going into battle? Um, and he says um, in verse forty one. Therefore, Saul said. O Lord God of Israel, why have you not answered your servant this day? If this guilt is in me or in Jonathan, my son, O Lord God of Israel, give Urim. And if the, the guilt is on your people, Israel, give Thummim. And Jonathan and Saul were taken, but the people escaped. And so it was this, you know, which way do I go, this way or that? And it was a way of, 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 of kind of lots that were cast or something... <laughs> To that extent that, that the priest used. Now, again, that sounds kind of weird, you know. We, if you think about Gideon and, and putting out the fleece, we, that feels like it's, it's faithless to do that. You know, is this still a way we should, we should go about doing, discovering God's will, flip a coin? No. How do we know that? How do we know that's still not something we should do? Well, Hebrews 1, 1 through 2 says, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many, in many portions, in many ways, in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And uh, theologian F.F. F. Bruce writes, the story of divine revelation is a story of progression up to Christ. But there is no progression beyond Him. And so this was a valid way for the priest to lead and guide kings and, and the people of God using these devices. He kept them on his heart. He kept them in this pocket. But again, we, again, this is, doesn't need to confuse us as uh, those on this side of the cross, we have the full revelation of God in Christ. We don't go backwards. There is no going forward. We, we, we cannot get any better than what we have, this revelation of God in Christ. But again, this He goes in with beauty, glory, holiness, 
as he belongs there, but he doesn't just belong there himself. He, he represents God's people. So he's saying that by, some, by me, this means of God, through this being adorned by God, not only I belong there, but, but not only is, is Aaron or the high priest holy to Yahweh, but Israel, his people, are holy to the Lord. Israel, I mean, Aaron is set apart as a priest and Israel is being set apart from other peoples on earth. He doesn't just represent a man's access, but their access to God. But he also represents them in another way. Look at, look at verse 38. It said, speaking of this, this plate that's there on his forehead, it's, it shall be on Aaron's forehead and Aaron shall... Bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. And, and so, what does that mean? It says this, shall bear any guilt. Not only does he just represent them and as, as just that they have access, but he also, in a symbolic sense, as the high priest... He incurs and carries the responsibility for their sins. And he, so he, he not just, just bears on, he's just thinking, you know, the, it says that this judgment of Israel will be on his heart. It's not just that he's going to lead them in the way they should go using these devices, but it also means that he goes in bearing the guilt. He symbolically bears the guilt of Israel and therefore can symbolically do what? Make a sacrificial atonement for them. He represents them not only in being made glorious and holy, but in making atonement before the Lord. So how did how should they have felt? And I ask this question to our faith conversations class. How should they have felt when they see this guy that's just like them? All decked out. Who does he think he is? You know, <laughs> what does he? If I came dressed like that, that's what you would say. Who does Grant think he is? I think we're paying him too much. That's a lot of jewelry on that outfit. <laughs> a lot of purple and red and blue there. Anyway. What's wrong with him? What's he doing? Does he think he's better than us? And that, but see, it's the opposite. When Israel saw, when they finally made this and, and put it on Aaron, good old Aaron, Aaron that was just like one of them, when they put that on, they were like, wow. Wow. One of us. One of us is given access. One of us is made holy and one of us gets to represent all of us before God. This beautiful, earthly dwelling place they've made that's symbolic of Eden and symbolic of the heavenly realms and they get to, and God's with them. One of them is adorned in a way that He can go in and represent them and make atonement for them. Wow. 
But you see the symbolic nature of this belonging and of the access and of the, of the, of the representation. It's by design it has to give way to the real. The symbolic gives way to the real. At the very beginning, and I kind of skipped over this, you know, it starts out with, well, before I get to that, I want you to realize that the first time this word priest is used in Exodus is in 19.6. And he says this. He says, he actually doesn't refer to Aaron. He refers to all of his people. This, is, this isn't just a New Testament concept. But in 19.6, he says, all of his people, all of Israel should be a kingdom of priests. But you realize they couldn't do it. They weren't all fit to be priests unto the Lord. And then we have this, this man that they've set up, this, this, this brother of, 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 of Moses. And even he is a, he's the ideal, the sim, symbolic priest, but he in and of himself wasn't qualified. You know, at the very beginning of the text, in, in 1920, there's the whole idea of this, this conversation about priests started with talking about lighting the menorah and, and giving the, the oil for that. And you know what? That, that's the first job that the priests are given in, in, in the Scriptures. If you look at the very first thing to do is keep the light burning. And it became a, an idiom for are the priests, is, is the priesthood being faithful in Israel? Later in Israel, this, this idea of keeping the lamp of God's lit it was a, just... It was used to talk about all the priests doing their job. And, and you see that in 1 Samuel 3.3. 3, um, during the priest, high priesthood of Eli, it said the lamp of God had not yet gone out. But guess what? It eventually did. The line of Aaron failed. They, they didn't remain faithful. Even, even the sons that we see written here, the, the, first, the oldest two, aren't faithful how can we know that the light will not go out? There had to be a better priest. Not just one that's symbolic, not the symbolic, but the ideal, the actual, the, the actual had to come, and that is Jesus Christ. He doesn't have to be adorned in jewelry. He is from heaven itself. He's not wearing clothes that make him the man. He is the man. He is fully God and fully man. The perfect man who doesn't just symbolically go in. That's why he didn't come in riches as a king or a priest. He came as a, as a commoner, as a poor man who never wore such things because he and of himself he was righteous and holy, glorious and beautiful and needed no adornment. And through His life, and through His perfection, and then through His atoning sacrifice, not in a symbolic way do we enter in, but actually you and I enter in to the presence of God through His sacrifice. And see, that's why we need the Old Testament. That's why we need this passage to, to get really what Christ has accomplished. And that what He has fulfilled. Do you realize what Jesus has done? Do you realize what He has accomplished for you? You are not naked. 
It's not just you and the, and the culmination and the summation of your sins and inadequacies standing before God. Do you feel that way though? Do you feel that way? I heard a comedian talking about, you know what an imposter syndrome is? Imposter syndrome is, you know, when you really are... You know, sometimes college students have imposter syndrome. You know, they've done the work, they've got the degree, they deserve to be there and they feel like they don't. And I heard this comedian say, he goes, I, for years, my whole life, I thought I had imposter syndrome. But then I come to find out the definition is that you really are qualified, but you don't feel qualified. What do you call it when you're not qualified and don't feel qualified? <laughs> what? I need to know what that is. Because <laughs> that's what I am. <laughs> and that's what, that's what you and I are. We, we don't deserve to be there. And Christ does. And what does that accomplish for you? It says, you are clothed not in jewels, not in fine linen. You are clothed in Christ. Galatians 3, 24-27 says, So then... The law was our guardian until Christ came, nor that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you who were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Again, recognize that. As many of you who were baptized into Christ, who have put your faith into Christ, it's not, I don't think it means a literal baptism, but what baptism symbolizes, signifies, if you have been, if you were if you are in Christ, if you believe Christ, you have put on Christ. It's not something you have to yet do. In this context, he's talking about our righteous justification. The justification that God, you know, we're declared righteous by God. And it's done. We've put it on. You are adorned in Christ. That's why when, when you see in Revelation, you see the, the saints, they are what? They're wearing what? They're wearing white linen robes with golden sashes what is Jesus wearing when we see him at the beginning of Revelation around the what the lamp stands that he keeps lit he's wearing a priestly robe and a sash and every time you see the saints and the rest of they're wearing the same thing God's intention was what for Israel for all his people to be a kingdom of priests and now we are. Because, not because we wear gaudy, a gaudy outfit that was beautiful and wonderful and gave hope to His people, but now the true priest has come. And He wears not a symbol of glory and holiness and beauty. He is glory. He is holiness. He is beauty. And He has adorned you with that, with Himself. We are no longer imposters. You are not an imposter. You belong. You have access and whenever, again, yes, we have to keep in our minds that we are sinful and fall short of the glory of God. But do not remember the before, but don't remember the after. Don't, don't, don't forget the after. Don't forget the present. You are adorned 
in the holiness, righteousness, glory of Christ. You and I both. And that's what we need. And that's what we have. That's what He accomplished. That's what this points to and what Christ has done. We have the the ideal, the symbolic, but in Jesus we have the actual, the real. And by, by that, you and I are saved. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this, your word. Um, thank you for this, this picture of what, of your grace and mercy and, your, and this fulfillment of this in your, in your life, your death, your resurrection, Lord Jesus. May we boldly approach the throne of grace adorned, clothed in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, the Lord knew that we would struggle to remember what I just what was just proclaimed that that we are really clothed in Christ. 
that we really do have access, that we really do belong by His finished work on the cross for us. So He's given us this meal. He instituted this meal so that we would keep doing this in remembrance of Him, remembering what He said, remembering what He'd done, and remembering that we have a seat at the table, we have access through Christ. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, I invite you to this table to, to, for your, your faith to be strengthened, for you to, to experience in another way, in this, in this tangible way, through these signs and seals, God's grace to you and His faithfulness to you and your status, which is set because you are redeemed of the Lamb. If you're not in Christ, if you're, if you're not a member of a gospel-preaching, gospel-believing church and a member in good standing and you haven't yet done that or come before the elders, I ask you to, to wait, refrain, to think about these things, to ponder these things, and to please come talk to us to ask 